So I'm, I'm making the connection that he is a shepherd. He is the door. He's the gate. He's the way. He's the light. He's the path. And if I want to live kingdom because he came to introduce me to the kingdom, he didn't come and say, Arthur, come into the kingdom. He says, Arthur, the kingdom is coming to you. This is not about me entering into something. This about something entering into me. And now when the kingdom enter into me, here comes the king of the kingdom, the instructions of the kingdom, the, the, the rebuke, the, the everything that the king has for me comes with me opening up and allowing the kingdom to come. So what is it going to do? It's going to change my way of thinking. It's going to change the way I see things. It's going to confront the issues in me that is not in alignment with kingdom thinking with being kingdom-minded, with kingdom living. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. During Yeshua's first public teaching, he instructs his listeners to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Yeshua continues to teach them how they are to see things from a kingdom perspective in judging others, prayer, and developing a kingdom mindset or kingdom way of living and thinking. Yeshua begins to lay the foundation for kingdom living at the very beginning of his public ministry. He reveals to us that the gospel of the kingdom embodies a variety of subject matters that deal with us personally, in community, and in communion with Yehovah. The message title in this podcast is, Kingdom-Minded Living. So, let's study. So, we're going to be talking about um, kingdom-minded living. As we, two weeks ago, we, we, we taught concerning uh, the kingdom and, and, and the righteousness of the kingdom, and we concluded um, with the next to the last verse in Matthew chapter 6 concerning seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all the things that the world seek after will be added. Yeshua told his listeners, as I stated, to seek first. And what he was saying is that the first thing that we want to be concerned about and focused on is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Elohim, the kingdom of Jehovah. And then there's a righteousness that comes when we seek him and when we desire to do what it is he revealed to us once we have sought him and he revealed himself to us. And so... As Yeshua is talking to these individuals from a variety of places, as we've been discussing, whereas he had individuals that were from the Decapolis, from the other side of beyond Jordan, from uh, Galilee, from Judea, from the regions around, we conclude that all of these individuals aren't necessarily Hebrew or, or Jewish or um, understanding of the um, religion, the Jewish religion, which many uh, were familiar with. And so Yeshua was teaching 
And what seemed like a, bu a bunch of random subject matters, I've come to realize they weren't random at all. He proceeded to teach them how they were to see things from a kingdom perspective. And we're going to do some recapping back and forth because if, if you remember, John came on the scene and he was, he was a voice crying in the wilderness. He wasn't sent to nations outside of the land of Israel. He was sent to Israel specifically and the region where he was baptizing seems to be closer to the region of Judea, whereas the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes sent people out to find out if he was uh, this prophet or this Messiah, the one that the people were supposedly uh, looking for. And John made it clear that, that he wasn't. But his message was a message of repentance why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I've tried to, in the best of my abilities, help us understand that he was speaking to a people who had the Torah. He was speaking to a people who had religion. He was speaking to a people who were, who had the temple and who were keeping the, the law <laughs> As, as we know it, or as, as, as we thought we knew it, but only to come to find out that the law they were keeping were the laws of men that were being taught as commandments. John, of course, he was put in prison, and the Bible tells us that from that moment, Yeshua began to do, he began to teach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What Messiah started doing from Matthew chapter 4 is he started teaching individuals that this kingdom of heaven that was at hand required a different way of thinking than the, the people were accustomed to thinking at the time. And, and what this is going to do is it's going to bring hopefully a, a greater understanding of what it means to renew the mind, to renew the mind. Here's what I've realized that many people who get saved don't change a lot of the way they think. There is some adjustments. There are things people stop doing that they used to do and start doing that they didn't used to do. You know, folks will start going to church. Uh, folks will start reading their Bibles. People will start praying. People will have a um, desire to understand the, the word of Jehovah, but the understanding that they receive will be based on the denominations that they are a part of. If a person gets saved in a Baptist church, they'll be taught a Baptist doctrine. 
if they get saved in a Pentecostal church, they'll be taught a Pentecostal doctrine, a Episcopal church, a Catholic church, a, a Methodist church, wherever they are, they will be taught the word of God from that particular theology or philosophy. And, and this causes a person to think denominationally when it comes down to thinking about the word. But the other side of that is that they still have family members that they have to interact with. They still have jobs. If they have jobs, they have to interact and, and, and work. Businesses that they now have to um, do their business and their customers and their clients and, and family members and friends and, and relatives and acquaintances are still operating from a world kingdom mindset. And because of this world kingdom mindset that everybody around them is operating on, it, it, it kind of forced us to retain a world kingdom way of thinking. Even though there has been a supernatural change in the life of the person, the way of thinking doesn't necessarily change with the exception of learning some things that are new to them, while at the same time applying these things that they're learning, the way they have applied the things that they learned when they were in a world kingdom mindset. And so what happens is that the word of, of the Almighty is filtered through the world kingdom thinking process. Is this making sense to you? Okay, stick with me. What Yeshua began to do is lay the foundation for how to think kingdom at the very beginning of his public ministry and then reveals to us that the gospel of the kingdom embodies a variety of subject matters that deal with us personally in community and in communion with Yehovah. People have tried to explain the gospel of the kingdom in a conversation. And what I've come to realize is that that's impossible. You'll understand as we go forward. So Yeshua continues his first public teaching and reveals kingdom minded thinking and living for those who receive the kingdom of heaven. And here's the thing, brothers and sisters. Many people who have started going to church have not necessarily received the kingdom of heaven if they haven't understood the kingdom of heaven. How can you receive it if you don't understand it? And I've looked at when it, when it comes down to the kingdom of heaven, you can go to any commentary out there. And I have several. You can look at the different commentaries written by different commentators in different environments. And what you will find is that they practically all explain the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, very similarly. 
And so a person who is studying the word and using the the information, the resources that is available, then we will come away with those resources thinking that this is what the kingdom is. The teaching, as I said, that I'm about to do, <laughs> and I really hope you, you listen intent and take good notes. In fact, I encourage you, make sure you bring something to write with. Make sure you, you know, when I was going to church and even when I go, uh, whenever I go someplace, I always have something to write with. I always have something to write on. And, and now that I've got this device, I can actually speak in Siri, you know, it, it, it transcribed for me. Of course, I got to go back and edit the transcriptions because you know, it says things that I'm not saying, and I just want to make sure that it's correct. But I don't trust, I don't trust my mind to remember. I mean, I trust it, but when it comes down to the things of Jehovah, I don't trust it. Why? Because of distractions. There's so many things to distract us, and we're easily distracted. And that, I believe, is one of the ways of the enemy and how he steal the word out of our heart. See, if, 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 if we hear the word and, 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 and that, that word is not hidden and, and remembered and operated on, then the enemy will come and by distractions cause us to um, lose it. It's like this. How many of you had dreams you, you wake up and you don't fully understand the dreams. And over the course of the day, you probably forgot what you dreamed about or you have bits and pieces of it. This is how the supernatural have a tendency to operate when it comes down to our mind. The dreams could be vivid while we're dreaming. Very clear in the sense of, you know, and you, you can put things in perspective, but when you wake up, it's not as clear anymore. And then it begins to fade away. This is how the word, if you're not careful and if you don't purposely capture it and guard it, it will, it will fade away. The kingdom of God is mentioned 71 times in the New Testament. And the kingdom of heaven is mentioned 32 times in the New Testament. Now, neither, neither <laughs> is, is not mentioned. Neither of them is mentioned in the Old Testament. The closest thing you will find in the Old Testament concerning the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the closest you'll find. That the Almighty said to the children of Israel, if you obey me, if you obey my commandments, I will make you a kingdom of priests. A holy nation. Peter picks up on that and talk about a peculiar people, a holy people, a holy nation. The revelation talks about a, a king, a, a nation of kings and priests 
or a kingdom of priests. And the point is, is that religion existed when Messiah came. We've heard from many Torah teachers and Messianic leaders how to approach scripture from a Hebraic mindset. How many of you have heard that? You got to think Hebraically. You can't think from a Greek perspective. You can't think from a, from a, from a, a English perspective. You got to think Hebraically. And so people want to now develop this, this Hebraic mindset. Unfortunately, there is no Hebraic mindset example in the scriptures. You won't find it. Now, I've come to realize that the closest way of thinking Hebraically is to think Jewish. The people outside of Hebraic, Israelite, Messianic, Jewish circles confuse Hebraic, Israelite, Messianic people with Jews. The moment you start talking about keeping the Sabbath, the moment you start talking about keeping the commandments, the moment you start talking about celebrating the feast, people now put you in the category of are you Jewish? That's, that's what the world see. Most Messianic Hebrew Israelite worship services look Jewish with all the Jewish trappings that lead people to Judaism. There are some, some, some foolish people on social media who want to try to convince us that Judaism, Messianic Judaism, is what God established. Established when he gave us the Torah. That's a bunch of nonsense. And they will argue this. That Messianic Jewish, Messianic Judaism is the religion that, that Jehovah gave the, the Jewish people. And Jehovah didn't give the Jewish people Messianic Judaism. Jewish people developed Messianic Judaism. This didn't come from him. It came from them. What Messianic leaders are teaching is how to think Jewish. All of the Jewish teachers I've listened to think Jewish, teach a Jewish perspective of the Torah with the focus of Israel and the Jewish people. And this is, this is one of the reasons why we, you know, we have to be careful about who we listen to. I have to be careful about who I let come in here. And preach and teach. There are many Jewish sects of Judaism and Jewish schools of thought. Now, the most recognized are Shema, Shemai, and then this other guy named Hillel. Of the two, Hillel is the one most in Messianic Judaism follow and practice. Many of them don't know they're doing it. They follow a Jewish calendar, a Hillel calendar, and even observe Hanukkah from a Jewish Hillel point of view. How do I know? Because the school of Shema teaches that you light all the candles on the first night. And then you do the countdown. Hillel teaches you light one candle each night and count up. Now, you don't see the 
all the candles lit and count down. How many of you have ever seen anybody do that? If you've observed Hanukkah in any capacity. Why? Because people aren't following Shema. (laughs) They're following Hillel and they don't even know why they're doing it. Because they've not searched it out. They've not researched why we do this. Why we do. Why? Because that's the way the Jewish people do. And who are the Jewish people following? They're mainly following the Hillel calendar, the Jewish calendar and Hillel's teaching on Hanukkah and a whole bunch of other things. You'll find there's a Rashi. There's a Maimonides. There's a, 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 a couple others. And of course, Hillel, one of the more. Famous disputes involve, as I said, the number of lights kindled on each night of Hanukkah and Shema holds that eight lights are lit on the first night and one less each night afterwards, while Hillel is of the opinion that one light is lit the first night and one more succeeding night. You may ask, well, why are you you bringing that up? You'll see. Which one do you follow? Those of you who who celebrate Hanukkah, you're following Jewish traditions. And then those, when when we don't do it, people want to rail against us as not being messianic. What's that got to do with being messianic? What does that got to do with being Hebrew? See, none of that stuff existed in the Torah. This was something that, that came over a thousand years after the Torah was given. And if people want to do that, that's totally up to them. But when they try to push that, and remember, Yeshua taught two ways. You teach two ways. You teach by what you say, and you teach by what you do. People will look at what you do and judge you a lot harsher than looking, listening to what you say, because most folks ain't even listening to you no way. They just want you to hurry up and stop talking so they can get their two, two cents in. And then those who do listen, try to twist your words because they hear what they want to hear, oftentimes not hearing what you said. Yeshua did not teach a Hebraic mindset. Yeshua didn't teach a Jewish mindset. People say, well, you know, our boss is a Jewish carpenter. Yeshua didn't teach Judaism. He didn't teach from a Jewish mindset. He didn't teach from a Greek mindset. He didn't teach from a Christian mindset. Yeshua taught a kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven mindset, and he made it clear. He made it very clear. Now, this may shock some of y'all, but Jehovah is not Jewish. Jehovah is not Hebrew. Woo! Now, some of y'all just got slain in the spirit. He is not Hebrew. He's not Jewish. He's not an Israelite. He's not a Hebrew Israelite. He's not a Christian. And he's certainly not an American. So, so if, if, if you're filtering and coming, from a con- coming to a conclusion that fit any of those categories, put that up 
put that back up. If it comes into any of those categories, what you have received is a Jewish gospel if you're thinking Jewish. You've received some Hebrew Israelite gospel if you're thinking Hebrew Israelite. You're receiving some Israelite doctrine if you're thinking it's, he's, he's, he's Israelite. You're receiving some Christian doctrine or some American doctrine. Your way, your practice, your belief is filtered through either one of them or, or you have a grips, a grip on a kingdom mindset. Because why? Jehovah is the king of the kingdom. He didn't come to establish anything in the earth except his kingdom. This is what he wanted to do with the Hebrew people. This is what he sent John to do. And this is what Yeshua picked up, did, and taught. And this is what his disciples picked up and taught. But there was some double-mindedness if you, if, you, if you really think about it. Remember when we went through Acts after all of this, before Yeshua ascended, Peter asked, along with the others, which tells us where his mind was, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Yeshua says, it's none of your business. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons. Messiah didn't come to establish the kingdom of Israel. Israel already existed. From the days of John the Baptist to the beginning of Yeshua's first teaching to the ascension of Yeshua, the focus and messages was about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, I know there's some folks out there, so you shouldn't be saying God. You should be saying Elohim. Well, mind your own business. You say what you say. Don't try to tell me what to say, because what is Elohim? God. Well, brother, that's a uh, pagan. Well, you know, when you teach, you teach what you teach. It's amazing how people try to tell you how to teach, which means they're sitting back judging your teaching. That's what they did to Messiah. That's exactly what they did. Instead of hearing what he's saying and taking the application and applying it into their lives, they're looking for something to trap you up in. And you got to learn how to ignore some of these folks because, you know, you know, when they make their comments, let me, let me tell you, before you get into conversations with people, especially people on social media, go to their Facebook page and check it out because they'll tell you who you are. They'll tell you who they are. Now you, you kind of got an idea of who you fussing with. And what you realize is many of the people that you're fussing with on the Internet don't even have a good fuss. They're not solid people. Now, you know, these people who you have conversations with face to face because you can discern when you're dealing with somebody face to face. By their facial expressions, body languages and words. And you determine whether or not you're going to engage or not. It's, you can't do that on social media. Because you don't even know who you're talking to. 
The law of Elohim, the law of God, was never just about the kingdom of Israel. That's the thing we have to get, folks. Long before there was an Israel, there was the Almighty dealing with his creation. The law of God was always about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was never realized. That's why you don't see it in the New Testament. I mean, in the Old Testament, it was never realized. Israel was supposed to be the catalyst for the establishment. But look at how many times Israel rebelled. I mean, they rebelled <coughs> against the Almighty while they were still in slavery. Immediately after coming out of slavery, they rebelled. When he took them into the promised land, they rebelled. Had wicked judges. Wicked kings. And they went in bondage over and over again. And the only reason why they went in bondage is because of disobedience and rebellion. So the kingdom of heaven was never established in the earth. And the first teacher to come, the first prophet to come to, to prepare the way of the one who would bring the kingdom of heaven to earth, John, come calling people to repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was coming, it was not. In order for the kingdom of heaven to come, there had to be a repentance. Repentance from what? If the people had the law, if the people had the Sabbath and the, and the temple and the, and the feasts and, and all of that, why would they need to repent? Because they were doing according to what they had been taught by individuals who were teaching the commandments of men and the traditions of the elders Instead of the commandments of Jehovah. So, when Yeshua came, get this, religion existed. Judaism existed. Israel existed. But the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven did not exist. There was no kingdom of heaven. There was no kingdom of God. And there was nobody preaching it. Nobody teaching it. And the people had a lot of teachings. They had a lot of teachings. They had a lot of teachers. Messiah's encounter as we went through John with Nicodemus, he says, you're Israel teacher and you don't know this. This is simple, basic stuff and you don't know this. So if he didn't know that, what was he teaching? He was teaching the stuff he had been told. Just like a lot of people today, teaching people, teaching things they've been taught. 
And, and we live in a society and a culture now to where people gravitate to the most popular. They gravitate to the most popular teachers, the most popular teachings, the most popular t- sayings. And, and with social media's likes and, and, and video views, people are working hard to get likes. They're working hard to get shares. They're working hard to get views, even to the point it, it, it's, it's, it's sad when I see men and women out there exposing themselves so that people can look at them. Look at some of the radical um, uh, styles. Look at what people are doing to their, to their hair, to their, to their face, to their skin. Folks are, they're they're more concerned about putting on a face instead of embracing. Many people out there, you look at them today and what you'll see, I'm I'm watching, you got, you got, you got fake this and and fake that and, and fake this and fake this and fake that. It's like, where are you? Who are you? Because if you're doing all of this to try to trap somebody or to try to reach somebody, it's like, you know, these dating sites, folks want to show you their picture 20 years ago. It's like, really? You show up looking to meet that guy or that girl. And it's like, you're walking all around of it. They don't recognize you either. We have to learn to appreciate what the creator gave us, regardless to how it looks to anybody else. You see, I don't, I don't, I don't have to, I don't have to get a, I embrace, you know, I don't, I don't like not having hair, but hey, I know in order to get hair, cause I can get some hair. Seriously, I can get some hair. I can, you know, they'd have to, they'd have to do some scalp implanting, but they could weave some stuff up in here and make me, make me look 20 years younger. But then when I think about all the stuff that I got to put on it, all the things that I got to put in me in order to keep up some fake appearance, it ain't worth it. If, if, if a person can't appreciate you for who you are, for how you look, just take care of what he gives you. And, and, and you, you, I, you I, will, I will bet my life that somebody out there will appreciate you for you. But how can they ever appreciate you if they never meet you? John, nor Yeshua, preached the kingdom of Israel. Yeshua, John didn't come saying, repent for the kingdom of Israel is at hand. He didn't come preaching, repent for the kingdom of Jews are at hand. 
They, they preached the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. That's what they preached. To who? To Israel and to the Jews. In Matthew 4, 17, the Bible says, from that time you should begin to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You should talk kingdom-minded living. Yeshua's focus was kingdom thinking to produce kingdom living. We must learn to think kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven in every aspect of our lives. That was the purpose of the teaching in the Beatitudes. If you want to be blessed, to be blessed, we must think kingdom. To think, to think kingdom is to think lawful according to Jehovah. To think kingdom and to live kingdom, we have to incorporate his laws into our daily lives. In every aspect of our being, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear. Can't, you can't separate that from his kingdom. Why? Because in his instructions, he tells us what is food. If, if, if we eat something that he told us is not food, we're not operating in kingdom mindedness. If we're wearing things that that is 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 not made or produced the 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 resources that he created to produce because understand something brother sister your body comes from the earth and so everything that you put on you should come from the earth the clothes you wear what comes from the earth cotton Linen, the, the animals, wool, polyester is not, is, not, is not from the earth. Polyester is made from chemicals. When people wear polyester, you're draping this body that came from the earth in chemicals. You might as well just take a, a, a swim in a, in a pool full of gasoline. You may not think that, but that's that's exactly what you're doing. If you're putting if you're putting chemically made stuff on a body <clears throat> that is made of him, there's a conflict. He's instructed us on what to eat. He's instructed us on what to wear. He's instructed us on how to walk, how to worship, how to approach him, how to Live in community, how to treat your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter, your mother, your wife. He's given us instructions on all things pertaining to life and to godliness. And so if you're going to live life according to his kingdom and you're going to live godly according to him, then the only way you'll be able to effectively and successfully do it is look for his instructions in those areas of life. To, to be kingdom minded is to be meek. When Yeshua taught on the Beatitudes. To be kingdom minded is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. What righteousness? His righteousness. It's the only righteousness that matters. Unless you're seeking self-righteousness or denominational righteousness or some nation righteousness. To be kingdom minded is, is to be filled with him. 
to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, to be considered yourself blessed instead of feeling like, you know, if, if, if somebody, if somebody comes here, here's what has happened to too many of us. We share our faith. Somebody have an issue with the things we share. And so we be quiet. People attack you for what you believe. So you keep your belief to yourself. And now in this kingdom world that we live in, people tell you there's two things you don't talk about. You don't talk about politics. You don't talk about religion. Keep your politics, your, your political view and your and your your religious view to yourself. How does that fare in the kingdom when the things that we have been given, we're supposed to take to the nations. We're supposed to broadcast from the rooftop the things that he revealed in, in, in secret. But the world is trying to shut us up. Denominational people try to shut you down. They try to shut you up. And here's where you find this fear of man complex. Too many people who claim to be believers have a greater fear of man than they do of him. So we, we should consider ourselves blessed when people insult us. And I, I, um, and I had to regroup because sometimes these people get on your last nerves and I got nerves too. And there are times when people get on my nerves, which is why I've had to disengage in a lot of areas in a lot of situations with people so that I don't find myself going into that space and place in my thinking. Like one guy wanted to tell me that, you know, we need the Talmud because if we didn't have the Talmud, we wouldn't understand the, the, the phylacteries or, you know, those little boxes that many Jews wear. And, and it's, a, it's an interpretation of Judaism concerning binding the word to your, to your, your forehand and, your, and your, your forehead so you won't forget. And so many have interpreted binding the word to putting these boxes with leather straps and doing wrappings around their arms. And this guy wanted it's like, man, do you even know? I said, if you, if you take that, then here's what I suggest you do. Get a sharp knife and circumcise your heart. And make sure you use a sharp knife. Because the Bible says circumcise your heart and no longer be stiff-necked. Now, we don't, we don't have a, a, a misunderstanding of what it means to circumcise the foreskin of your flesh because you need a knife to do circumcision, right? Well, how do you circumcise your heart without a knife? So, so is it possible to bind the word to your, to your mind, to your head, to your thinking? Because this is, this is what he's saying. It's not about you practicing some, some ritual in the morning to where you put this thing on your head and say a few prayers. It's about you remembering his word 
all day, every day, in every circumstance, in every situation, you're acknowledging him. And how do we acknowledge him? We acknowledge him through his word and we acknowledge acknowledge him through our speech. If you don't know his word concerning what you're supposed to wear, guess what? You pretty much wear anything because it looks good. But you don't know the damage it's doing. If you don't know his word as far as what to eat, you'll eat what people prepare for you because it tastes good. Now, all you got to do is look around in society and you can see that, that people through eating and drinking, are literally killing themselves. People are eating themselves to death, drinking themselves to death, abusing the things in their life, and mostly because it tastes good or because it feels good. I know what that's like. When we're kingdom-minded, we rejoice when we experience the things that the people in the Bible experience. But how many of you know you'll never experience the things that the prophets experience if you don't walk in in the footsteps of the prophets? The prophets faced persecution and death because they were calling the people who claimed to love the Almighty back to his instructions. We live in a world today where people claim to love the Almighty but reject his very word. You can't understand the New Testament without understanding the Torah. It doesn't make sense. Yeshua taught kingdom-minded living concerning being salt and light, concerning walking according to the writings of the law and prophets, concerning dealing with the brethren, concerning anger, concerning divorce, concerning adultery, concerning vows and vengeance and love and giving and prayer and fasting and accumulating wealth and worrying. All of this he dealt with in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, and now he's about to continue in Matthew chapter 7. Because he concluded in Matthew 6 saying, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What does that mean? What does that look like? Seek first the kingdom. It's a nice verse. It's a good memory verse. But how does that play out in application? How do you seek first his kingdom? What about his righteousness? When we develop a kingdom mindset, we will live kingdom minded and apply kingdom thinking in everything, including judging and judgments. And this is what we're about to get in. He says, judge not that you be not judged. Now, here's the key for with what judgment you judge. Now, first said, judge not lest you be judged. But then he says, with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. So is he actually saying don't judge? No. He's saying make sure that when you judge, 
use the proper standard for judgment. Well, what's the proper standard for judgment? Where do we find that? The word there, whatever judgment, the judgment is the outcome of judging. See, if you're a prejudiced person or racist person, you could see a person who is of a race that you don't have an issue with and not think bad about that person. How you think about that person will determine how you interact. If you choose to interact with that person and the kinds of words you will say to that person when you do interact with them or you'll avoid them altogether. That's the outcome of judging. How you respond, the conclusion you come to. When you see somebody who is of a ethnicity that you already have an issue with, how you respond to that person is the judgment. You have judged, and now your judgment is how you react or respond or deal with or choose not to deal with because you've already got a conclusion in your head that person that you've never spoken to or talked to or dealt with. And what are you basing it on? Your judgment is the outcome of judging. Now, righteous judgment requires seeing clearly. This is why he gets into this. And why beholdest the mote in thy brother's eye, but considereth not the beam that is in your own eye. See, if you are racist, if you are prejudiced, You got a beam. You got a log. You just don't even know you got a log. Because how can I treat you a certain way and I don't even know you? How can I have a conclusion about who you are and I've never even communicated with you? There are people who see me and they make judgments. And listen, I make judgments too. And I have to correct myself. I have to correct myself. Well, why do you have to correct yourself, brother? Because I realize that I violated what he's saying. If, if, if I'm judging you based on appearance and I don't know you, then how, what, what, what standard did I use to draw a conclusion about you? Where, where, did, where did that come from? Because obviously, I'm using some kind of algorithm. I'm using some kind of measuring tool. I'm using some kind of preconceived ideology to draw a conclusion about you if I never met you and talked to you. And these are issues that we have to deal with as people if we're going to be kingdom thinking. Why? Because in the body of Messiah, there are going to be people who are going to come from ethnicities that you may have had issues with. It, 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 was, it was sad for me to be in 
environments with other Messianic Hebrew roots people and see people who don't, don't know me try to avoid me. It's like, why are you doing that? I know why they're doing it. At least I perceive I know why they're doing it. But why are you doing that? And then you move that way or some, and, and I be testing folks too. I try to get close to them to see how they're going to respond. I do. I've done it. <laughs> oh, he's one of the good ones. Yeah. How will you say to your brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine own eye, and behold, a beam in thine is in your... It says, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam in thine own eye. You hypocrite. First cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of your brother's eye. See, if you're prejudiced, you got a beam. If you got some issues with somebody because of how they look, you got a beam. And, and I got to tell you, brothers and sisters, I, I recognized the beams. Because I, I had a lot of opinions. I still got opinions about things, about people. And I have to work through that. So do you. So. Jehovah's law taught to judge righteously. Really? Deuteronomy 1.13. Take your wise men and understanding and known among your tribes. And I will make them rulers over you. Verse 14. And he answered me and said, the thing which thou hast spoken is good for us to do. Verse 15. So I took the chief of your tribes, wise men and known, and made them heads over you. Captains over thousands and captains over hundreds and captains over fifties and captains over tens and officers among your tribes. And I charged your judgment, your judges at that time saying, hear the cause between your brethren and judge righteously between every man and his brother and the stranger that is with him. So Jehovah gave Moses these instructions and he says, okay, here's the instructions for your brethren. When you're interacting with your brethren, here's how you interact with them. When you're interacting with strangers, here's how you interact with them. Now, there's one law. And within the law, Israel knew how they were supposed to deal with the strangers that were among them. Now, the law says, you know, those outside of you, they don't understand the instructions that I'm giving you. So... Anybody who don't understand the law, the instructions that I'm giving you is not going to use the same measurements or measuring rules that you use. So understand that. So understand that if you're dealing with somebody who's outside the Torah community, they're not going to understand the things that you understand. They're not going to practice the things that you practice. They're not going to hold dear the things that you hold dear. He's going to get into casting your pearls among swine here in a moment. And putting what is holy, you know, giving it to the dogs here in a moment. We have to we have to judge what we're dealing with and who we're dealing with so that we know how to apply what aspect of his instructions. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves trying to treat everybody the same. You can't do that according to the law. I mean, you can. 
But according to the law, there is a difference. There's a difference. He says, so you shall not respect persons in judgment. I'm, I'm amazed at how men can be so afraid of powerful people. Even to the point to where they allow their own judgment to be perverted. Look at the system situations we're, look, we're dealing with today. Individuals with power that have garnished power to the point to where it, it wreaks fear among people and they won't judge according to what is right, but will judge according to affiliations. Fear. Father says, don't do that. That when you judge that person and you judge that person, you make sure that you're using the same standard of judgment. You make sure that you're applying righteous judgment. Don't be prejudiced. Don't, don't, don't show favor. Look at what he said. You should not respect persons in judgment, but you shall hear the small as well as the great. You should not be afraid of the face of man for the judgment is God's. And the cause that is too hard for you, bring it unto me and I will hear it. You see what he's saying? What is in there? Righteously. Judge righteously. Well, well how am I going to judge righteously? That means that I, I, I can't. I can't let the news give me information. And then I draw a conclusion based on the information they just gave me. This is why you can't watch it. You know, I see some of these videos that people be passing and, and, and I'm angry. All of a sudden I'm watching this and it's, it angers me. It's like, why am I getting angry? Because I don't like what I see. But are you judging what you see righteously? And how can you if you don't have all the facts? How can you make a righteous judgment with partial information, with a piece of information? You see how the police treat somebody who's black and, and what you see is a, is, a, is a small piece. And now all of a sudden you're outraged. Why? You see somebody who treats somebody who is of your same ethnicity. Of your same, you know, particular and now you make a judgment based on some sound bites, based on some information that has been skewed and, and, and presented in a way to outrage you. And it does what it does, just like the movies. You got actors who are playing on your emotion. They want to make you cry. And so they, they create this scene. And next thing you know, you need some tissue. You're watching a movie, bro. Yeah, but it's so. <laughs> it's like, really? They're acting. You know they're acting, right? Yeah, but it's so real. But it's not real. You know it's not real, right? The world has been taught how to manipulate what you see and how to provoke a response from you. 
without you even judging righteously because you're making a judgment based on what you see and therefore what are you walking by? They, they just, just provoke your emotion off of a soundbite. You don't see the rest of the story. And, and, and people are so quick to pass a judgment without seeing the rest of the story. That's what jurors are for. That's what impartial jurors are supposed to do. An impartial juror don't go into a courtroom with their mind already made up about a case. It's not righteous judgment. It's prejudice judgment. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. The dog in this verse is not the bow wow, but the man whose mind is impure, a disrespectful person. If a person speaks to you disrespectfully, you need to let them know that there's no cause for you to speak to me that way. If they don't hear what you got to say in that matter, you know you're dealing with a dog. And if you continue to deal with the dog, then that's on you. That's the decision you've made. See, if somebody wants to curse me, if, if, if I'm on the phone and somebody curse me, I'll give them a warning and say, hey, you know, don't use that kind of language speaking to me. Next time you use that language, I'll hang up. They don't get a second warning. If they cuss again, and I don't answer the phone. Now you say, well, who, who do you deal with like that? Well, you know people like that. They don't know how to talk to you like, you have a per like you're respectful. But if you're disrespectful in your communications, then you're sowing, and now you're reaping what you're sowing. This is why you treat people the way you want to be treated, not how they treat you. But you got to have the Torah understanding, kingdom mind. A dog, a man of impure mind, an impudent man. That's what it is. That word, casting your pearls among swine and they rend on them, that means to tear in pieces. Where you try to tell somebody something and they turn on you. If you're dealing with people who, who have a tendency to turn on you when you're talking to them, why are you dealing with them? You don't have to deal with people like that. If you choose to deal with them, then, then, then at least you know what you're dealing with. But you don't have to. Verse 7, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asks, receive. And he that seeks, find. And to him that knock, it shall be opened. The idea here is ask until you receive. Seek until you find. You ever had somebody, you know, now children, children got this. They'll ask mama, they'll wear you out asking. And, and they won't stop until you either threaten them to stop or give them what they ask for. You ever went up to a door and you did this? Or do you like, 
And then you start listening for sounds to say, I know you're in there, especially if you're Jehovah's Witness. We see you. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek. Have you ever went to find something and it wasn't where you thought it was and you stopped looking? You kept looking. The Amplified Bible states it this way. Keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking reverently and the door will be open to you. For everyone who keeps on asking receives and he who keeps on seeking finds. And to him who keeps on knocking, the door will be open. Verse 9. Of what man is there a, of you among whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your father, which is in heaven, give good things to them and ask him? So what Luke does is he connects the teachings here with the Holy Spirit. This particular one, it says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And so what is he saying? Who are we asking? Who are we seeking? Who are we not... See, we, we are knocking on heaven's door. You ever heard that song, knock, knock, knock on heaven's door? We're, 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 we're calling on the Almighty. Now, he says, when I knock on your door, open it up. What's the door? Our inward man, our heart. So he's, he's knocking, and he says, if you open the door, I'll come in and I'll have fellowship with you. He wants to have fellowship with us more if you would, then we really want to have fellowship with him. Why? Because he wants to fellowship with us all the time. We decide when we want to fellowship with him. But he's constantly wanting to fellowship with you and I. Do to others as you will have them to do unto you according to the law and the prophets. This is what he's saying here. Therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Now, wait a minute. I thought love was you know, the, the, the greatest commandment and the second liking. That if we love, then we've kept the law. But you, you, that, that's, that's a, a metaphor indicating to us that when we love the way he wants us to love, then everything else will proceed out of that. Why? Because I love, I love him and I love you. Now, how do I know I love him? I'm going to honor his commandments. How can I honor his commandments if I don't know I, if I don't know his commandments? Now, if I love him and I'm honoring his commandments, then his commandments is teaching me how to deal with you, how to treat you, how to honor you, how to respect you. So I, I can't love you without first loving him. See, scripture says, how can you say you love God whom you cannot see and, and hate your brother who you see? Now, I realize that the world is not my brother. But just because the world is not my brother doesn't mean I can treat the people of the world any kind of way. Because the Bible instructs me on how to treat the people. I treat the world people just like. I want them to treat me. I treat my brothers and sisters 
just like I want them to treat me. That's kingdom minded. Enter you in at the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which lead unto life and few there be that find it. And this is this is the importance of Yeshua. See, Yeshua is that door. Now, I know it, it, it uses the, the, the term gate, but the, the conversation is the path. The path. Whereas John says, then said Yeshua unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he's a door. That's a metaphor of the sheep. Who are the sheep? The sheep of his pasture. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So I'm acknowledging that I'm the sheep of his pasture. The moment I say that he is my shepherd. Now, if he's my shepherd, he's going to do what? He's going to lead me. He's going to guide me. He's going to make me lie down. He's going to feed me. He's going to prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemy. His goodness, his mercy is going to follow me all the days of my life. I will dwell in the house in the end of, of, of his house forever. So I'm, I'm making the connection that he is a shepherd. He is the door. He's the gate. He's the way. He's the light. He's the path. And if I want to live kingdom because he came to introduce me to the kingdom, he didn't come and say, Arthur, come into the kingdom. He says, Arthur, the kingdom is coming to you. This is not about me entering into something. This is about something entering into me. And now when the kingdom enter into me, here comes the king of the kingdom, the instructions of the kingdom, the, the, the rebuke, the the. Everything that the king has for me comes with me opening up and allowing the kingdom to come. So what is it going to do? It's going to change my way of thinking. It's going to change the way I see things. It's going to confront the issues in me that is not in alignment with kingdom thinking, with being kingdom minded, with kingdom living. See, the challenge with trying to under explain the kingdom is that it is too vast. It's, it's too vast. He says, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now, what is he saying? Everybody who came before him was thieves and robbers. Everybody. How could he make a statement? Because he's the word. There are others who came, and they supposedly brought the word, but the word they brought made the people subject to them. It made the people their slaves. It made the it branded the people. See, when you take on a denominational identity, you've been branded. You've been branded. When you take on an alma mater, you've been branded. When you take on a fraternity, a sorority, you've been branded. When you, when you take on a political view, you've been branded. When you take on a national identity, you have been branded. And the world around us is constantly trying to brand you and put you into some kind of camp so that they can now define you. Yeshua didn't allow them to do that. And he told his disciples, don't you allow them either. 
Don't let them make you rabbis. Don't try to, don't let them force you into their religious mindset. He says, you only have one rabbi. And now you got rabbis out there trying to explain what he didn't mean. It's like, really? Simple to me. Don't be called rabbi. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. And this is the ultimate. Because the abundant life is only in the kingdom living. And kingdom living means to be kingdom minded. You have to think kingdom. You have to eat kingdom. You have to drink kingdom. You have to wear kingdom. The kingdom gospel addresses every issue and area of your life. People talk about, well, what would Jesus do? And then some adopted and said, well, what would Yeshua do? It's not about trying to figure out what they would do. It's about understanding what he said. And then looking to him on how to apply it. Well, that's what they're saying. They're saying, okay, I, I get that, but it's words. Because how often do you think, what would he do in this matter? If he was going through what I'm going through right now, what would he do? If he was facing this decision that I'm, that I'm facing right now, what would he do? And what Yeshua is trying to teach these individuals and us is that, listen, here's how you think the way a kingdom-minded citizen thinks. The first thing you do is you seek first his, his righteousness. Well, what, is that? what does that mean? Well, they didn't have a New Testament, and that's not to discount the New Testament, brothers and sisters. It's to understand that the foundation of living in his kingdom is to first realize he's the king. Who make up the rules in the kingdom? The king do. Where's the rules he made up? They're in the Torah. That's, that's the government of the kingdom. Yeshua didn't come to do away with that. He didn't come to establish some religion. He didn't come to build on Judaism. In fact, he says, listen, guys, that stuff y'all doing, all that, it's going to be torn down. There will not be one stone left on top of another. It's all going away. But understand this. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. Can't somebody say it's over here or it's over there or there it is. Why? Because it's when the king comes in. It's not you entering into something. Now, ultimately, that's going to happen when the new heaven and the new earth is formed. But until then, the king now is living in us. And what does the gospel do? The gospel takes the kingdom message or the gospel of the kingdom, take the kingdom message in discipleship, not salvation. See, a saved, a so-called saved person may never learn how to live kingdom minded because they've never been discipled in the gospel of the kingdom.
Never been, never been discipled in it. It's amazing that, that people claim a savior who never ate swine. There's a reason why he didn't eat swine. Listen, if father, see, and then they want to interpret some vision that is clearly communicating what the vision was about from Peter's own words concerning uncleanness. So, well, you're going you're gonna to live your life based on a vision that has been clearly interpreted, but you claim to follow the Messiah who didn't eat the stuff that you eat and think it's okay to eat. Why didn't he eat it? All he had to do was just eat one rib, just one. One ham hock, hog mog. One pork chop. One BLT, just one. No, you sure didn't. So if he didn't do it and he's setting the standard and he said the things that I do, you should do. Shouldn't we do what he did? In conclusion, I'm wrapping it up. When I received this call, here's the thing that father began to deal with me. And, and it started, there was a, a, a couple, I stayed in their home, uh, Ken and, and Sharon. Uh, Fabri, and Father began, you know, to, to minister and, and to instruct me on how to minister. And when we got home uh, that night to their house, uh, actually it wasn't, it started that night because there was a meeting and then the people left and then I was left. No, it started before the people came. That's when it started. We were sitting in the kitchen, we had some conversation, and then all the leaders and the elders came, and we had a meeting, and then I went to bed. But at that table, they began to ask me, specifically Sharon, began to ask me about helping her to understand some of the stuff I said about the kingdom. And what Father had done in, in my drive up there is helped me, says, listen, you know, when you deal with the kingdom, you have to understand the reason why Folks can't explain the kingdom gospel is because from the time Yeshua started his ministry to the time he ascended, he taught the kingdom gospel. He didn't teach the same thing every day. He taught the kingdom gospel. And, and if you look at the issues he addressed, he addressed all the issues that we would be confronted with. He addressed, okay, kingdom gospel as it relates to um, just living. The kingdom gospel as it relates to how do you approach the Almighty. The kingdom gospel as to how you treat your, your, your wife, your, your neighbor, your boss, your employees. And then he, he took these men and said, now follow me. See what I do and listen to what I say, because ultimately you're going to go and do what I did and say what I said. So they followed him day in and day out. And they had a lot of questions about a lot of the stuff that he said. And, and he, he rarely touched on salvation. He talked on how to live. How we ought to conduct ourselves in the earth while being kingdom minded citizens in a way that would please the Almighty. 
And so he said to me that the idea of trying to put the gospel in a nutshell or the gospel of the kingdom in a nutshell, you won't be able to do that. It's impossible to do, to do that because the gospel of the kingdom covers all of the aspect of life. So now I got to think of, I got to think kingdom. Even when it comes down to this building, when it comes down to my house, when it comes down to my vehicle, when it comes down to my clothes, when it comes down to my food, when it comes down to my drink, when it comes down to my conversation, my language, my attitude, my thinking, my behavior, every aspect of my life, every aspect of my being now has to align with kingdom. How do you put that in a message? I guess I kind of just did, but I didn't touch on all of the areas in which the kingdom addresses. Even how I, 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 I cut my hair. The reason why I don't have a tattoo is because my understanding of the kingdom is this body is not my own. It's a temple. Now, they taught me that in the military. Back in the day when I joined the military, you would be in violation of the UCMJ, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, by going out and getting a tattoo on your arm because you're a military property. You are the property of the United States government. I understood that as a military person. You see. Taking an oath, a vow, and then having the law of the military, the military courts, and all of that for any individual who violated the laws in the military, which I violated some of them, and I found myself in military court. And if I violate the laws in, in, in Charlotte and if I violate the laws in, in, in North Carolina and in South Carolina and in the, in, in the places I come, I will find myself in their courts. Because the kingdoms of men enforces their laws and the kingdom of the Almighty enforces his laws. So, if I'm going to be a kingdom-minded citizen, I have to understand the laws of the kingdom that I live in. If I'm going to be a kingdom of heaven-minded citizen, I have to understand the kingdom of heaven laws that I live in and understand that his laws supersede all other laws. I can't deal with the supernatural in violation with this law unless I'm a thief and a robber. And guess what he says? Many will come in that day saying, look at all the stuff we did. Yep, you used my name. Yep, you usurped some authority. Yep, you got in the wrong way. But now, you're about to be cast out where there's weeping and gnashing. Depart from me, I never knew you. And so Father is saying to me, explain that the kingdom of heaven covers 
every aspect of your life. I remember, and, and I didn't understand this fully then, and I, I'm trying to grasp it now so that I can not only walk in it, but I can live, you know, teach it. That when I, when I got saved, Father said to me, you know, when you go in that job, you give, and, and I didn't know I was operating in law, but, but if, if you're supposed to be working eight hours a day, or nine hours a day, and they're giving you a 15-minute break in the morning and a 15-minute break in the evening and a 30-minute break for lunch. If you take 16 minutes, you just stole from your employer. If you take 32 minutes, you just stole from your employer. They didn't give you a 32-minute break. And they're paying you for 30 minutes. And if you're taking 32 minutes, then you're getting paid for 32 minutes and you didn't work those two minutes. And that's unjust weights. You're stealing. If you take something, you say you borrow it, but if you take it and you didn't ask and get permission, you're stealing. Do that in the bank. And so what he, what he began to do is he began to hone in because there are things that we allow ourselves to do that we know is a violation of the scriptures. We know it. If you intentionally violate the scriptures, you will violate the scriptures unaware. And the consequences are the same because father is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. And so the idea of operating kingdom-minded, it took me back to when I was in Bible school and seminary and in the world. I've had a lot of training on public speaking, on presentations, on the, the laws of interpretation, all that, all that stuff. And, and in, in Bible college, they, they taught us this, listen, the average person who comes to the church during that time has a fourth grade comprehension. If you start using big words, especially in an environment where individuals are not college educated and don't have a Webster dictionary and understand the language, you're going to talk over their head. Also, the people have an attention span of 20 minutes. You got 20 minutes to make your point. You do an opening, you introduction, you, you make your three points, and you close. And then you give a call to, to re response. You give some applicable means by which they can apply it. 30 minutes you can push if you're a good preacher. 45 minutes is a max. And so we, we're taught to make quick points, to give sound bites, to do nutshell teachings. And who in their right mind can hear a 30-minute sermon and decide that they need to give their life to Jesus? Based on what? And even when people do, that's the start of the journey. 
It's not the conclusion of the journey. Because now you got to learn how to walk this walk. It's not just about talking the talk. It's about walking the walk where your talk and your walk align itself. Because, see, here's the goal. Here's the goal, brothers and sisters. It's the abundant life. That's the key. It's the abundant life. Not just life, but abundant life. Understanding you got an adversary who's trying to steal it from you. And the only way you're going to be able to successfully navigate is you're going to need his spirit, you're going to need his word, and then you have to be a doer and not just a hearer. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.